Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. My name's Craig and I'm the senior pastor here and it really is just our joy and privilege to have you with us on this Labor Day weekend. Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts in just a few minutes, Acts chapter 9. Let me give you a little bit of housekeeping stuff. First of all, uh, if you're a member here with us, um, please make special attention or pay special attention to the deacon uh, election form that was in your bulletin. You can circle uh, all of those names if you would like. There's room for all of those to serve. And then at the end of service, uh, when we leave and take the offering at the end of service, if you just drop that in an offering plate at the end of service, that would help us out. But please take time to do that this morning. Second little bit of housekeeping information. Next Sunday night, we begin our equipping studies. If you're new here, you don't know what that is, so pay attention. I'm going to tell you our equipping studies are short-term, small group Bible studies uh, that we try to gear around things that we believe that folks in our church and our community could really benefit from. Uh, so this, uh, this go-round, for instance, we've got uh, a Bible study that I'm leading on the doctrine of sin. Uh, Pastor Kevin's leading one on uh, the book of Revelation. We've got a couple of women's studies. There's an apologetic study. There's a Bible study for our teenagers that's also going to be uh, on uh, the case for Christ, I believe. So uh, there's sign-ups for that online on our website at malvernhill.org. You can also sign up back here in the hallway in the back if you would like to. Uh, I point back there because it's literally right back there. So we welcome you to do that if you are interested. Uh, they run seven weeks this go-round. So they will finish uh, six weeks, six weeks. So they'll, they'll begin next Sunday night and they will finish um, the next to last Sunday in October. So um, uh, we hope that you will uh, be looking forward to doing that with us here at Malvern Hill. Other announcements are on our website or in the email newsletter that you receive. So if you're not receiving our emails, please sign up for those so that we can get them to you. All right. Having said all of that, we're in the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to begin reading this morning in verse 32. I'm going to ask you if you're able to please stand with me in honor of God's word. I'm going to read Acts chapter 9 verse 32 through verse 43. Hear now for this is the word of the Lord. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put all them outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for the accounts found in your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you've given us miracles. These miracles, Father God, that point to your glory, that build us up, Lord God, and that call new believers to you. Father, God, I pray that you give us understanding today, that we be open to the movement of your Holy Spirit as you move among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What a 
is the purpose of miracles? Thomas Jefferson, obviously one of our great revolutionary leaders, the enlightened and revolutionary politician, refused to believe in miracles. He famously created his own Bible by taking a penknife and scissors to the pages of the New Testament, cutting out the parts that he did not agree with. But is there any Christianity without the miraculous? Think about it. Can there be Christianity without a virgin birth or a resurrected Savior? In his classic book, Christianity and Liberalism, J. Gresham Machen clearly and declaratively states that there really is no such thing as a liberal Christianity that denies the divinity of Christ and the miracle accounts of the Scriptures. Now, when we speak of a liberal Christianity, I want to make sure we're very clear. We're not speaking necessarily of conservative or liberal politics, as the American understanding would be, but a conservative understanding of the Bible that says that this word is true versus a liberal understanding of the Bible that says this word is not necessarily true. Machen says this, the New Testament without the miracles would be far easier to believe, but the trouble is it would be not worth believing. He goes on and says, without the miracles, we would have a teacher. But with the miracles, we have a savior. Thomas Jefferson, like many others, believed in the sufficiency of science and ultimately that religion must bow to the laws of science. Many today continue to believe that science must be supreme. Norman Geisler, a leading Christian apologist, says this way, belief in miracles does not destroy the integrity of scientific methodology, only its sovereignty. It says, in effect, that science does not have sovereign claim to explain all events as nature, but only those that are regular, repeatable, and or predictable. What is a miracle? A miracle is that which exists in a way that we can't fully un understand or explain. Miracles are not everyday occurrences. And it's important for us to keep that in mind. I saw an interception on Sports Center this week. And the guy called it a miraculous interception. But when I saw it, what I actually saw was a really, really amazing athlete do something that really amazing athletes do regularly. They make catches. There's nothing miraculous about that. I saw a, university, a, 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 college, a collegiate athlete make a catch. He used two hands. I saw a JV football player make one one hand the other day. There's nothing miraculous about a football player catching a football. If you're a Carolina fan, it seems miraculous when we do it. <laughs> you know, it's tough. I just had to say it. I've, I've been holding it in. It's been hard. It's going to be a hard year, guys. But we're here together. We're in this. All right? We're, 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 I think, I think we're going to be all right. As long as we stick together. Let's move on. Um, what is the purpose of miracles? Why does the Bible give this? Why does it tell us about them? Why are they encountered or, or, or repeated or encountered so regularly in the pages of the scriptures when we rarely experience them ourselves? What is the purpose of miracles? I think there are three things that we can walk away from this morning uh, to show us the purpose of not only the miracles that we see right here in the book of Acts, but of all the miracles that are recounted in the word of God. The first thing we see is that miracles glorify God. Miracles glorify God. Now, why in the world is a football player making a catch not necessarily a miracle? Because there's nothing about that where somebody has to go, wow, the Lord really intervened to make that happen. 
If we just turn these kids loose today out in the front yard and we hand them a football, I'm going to tell you something. We watch long enough, we're going to see some kids make some pretty amazing catches. You're going to see a kindergartner make a catch that kindergartners don't normally make because if you throw the football to them enough times, they just do it. It just happens. That's not a miracle. A miracle is one of those things that just doesn't happen regularly. Miracles are rare exceptions to the normal natural laws that govern creation. For a football catch to be miraculous, that ball would have to sort of defy gravity and just hang up there and then somebody can run up and grab it out of the air. Miracles defy the natural laws. The gospel, the gospel accounts of Jesus place miracles in the center and not the periphery of Jesus' ministry. They describe his wonderful deeds. Why? As signs of the kingdom of God, or signs that the kingdom of God was arriving. This is what's happening right here. God is using these miracles to glorify himself. And so Jesus is doing these miracles, and there's signposts screaming, Look who's here! Look who has arrived. You recall that one of the Old Testament prophets proclaimed and then John the Baptist assured us that Jesus was going to turn the hearts of fathers toward their children. These were one of the signposts. The other things that we're going to see is that the virgin did conceive and give birth just as Isaiah prophesied. We see that he was smitten Bruised, battered for our transgressions, as Isaiah prophesied. That as the Psalms told us, he was crucified and they divided his clothes among them. All of these things take place to fulfill the miracle of prophecy. But then we get the great miracle of his resurrection that takes place. And it is a huge sign saying, look who is here. The existence of miracles points to a God who exists outside of the created world. Popular religion, and by popular religion, I'm going to say religion outside of organized church religion, religion outside of what we predominantly call orthodox or, or evangelical religion, often pictures this idea of, 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 of a religion that excludes miracles. And it excludes the miraculous because the living God of Christianity is excluded. Popular religion excludes miracles because it excludes the living God of Christianity and believes instead in a kind of God who obviously wouldn't do these things. This is what Thomas Jefferson believed, that he knew better than God would know, or at the very least that his intellect had to be so great that exactly the way that he thought is the way that any God would have thought. It's interesting in the way that we tend to turn God into our own image. John Calvin famously said our hearts are idol factories. Do you know the kind of idols that we're generally turning out, the ones that look just like us that think like us that believe the way that we do some folks don't like to find themselves in a church where the bible is preached because when the bible is preached regularly guess what you get offended the bible offends us and the bible offends us precisely because it is written to us and given to us by god who exists outside of creation and a big part of what he's doing inside of the creation as he speaks is turning us away from ourselves and toward him turning us away from our idols and toward him turning us away from our sin and towards him this sort of popular religion that excludes miracles many years ago c.s lewis referred to it as pantheism now what is pantheism pantheism i know we're using lots of big words we're going to get out of these big words in a minute okay i promise all right we got to make sure we don't turn this into an academic lecture but y'all just y'all just wade with me for a few minutes okay um, pantheism claims that God is sort of the transcendent reality of the universe. That's the big way of saying it. Let me give you the easy way. 
uh, more clearly, pantheism claims that God is everything and everything is God. You heard that before? Pantheism is, is sort of the quintessence, it's, it's the basis of, just work with me. Remember, Carolina receivers can't catch, I can't speak. It's all the same. We're all in this together, guys. Pantheism says that all things are God and God is all things. Pantheism is the equivalent of naturalism in our day. Right? An, an atheistic naturalism that rejects the idea that God exists. And instead, because look, nobody can get to a place where they say there is nothing, so we have to replace it with something. When I refuse to believe in the existence of the God of the Bible, it's really easy for me to just replace that with this idea that all that there is is the universe. Well, if all that there is is the universe, what does that mean? Well, the universe is all that exists, and the universe is sort of bringing all these things to bear. Well, where did the universe come from? Well, well, guess what? When I have committed myself philosophically to a position that says there is no God, I still have to account for the fact that there is something that exists. We see people doing all sorts of philosophical acrobatics to get to a place where, well, if there is a universe and there isn't a God, then the only possible explanation is the universe must exist in eternity, the universe is eternal, and it has always been. This is why we've seen, uh, for instance, um, adjustments to uh, the Big Bang Theory. Very few people sort of attest to a Big Bang Theory from which everything sort of began anymore. And so we've got this idea of sort of a bow tie theory. Uh, and the bow tie theory gives us this opportunity to believe that the universe could expand or ex could, could exist throughout all of eternity, constantly revolving in a cycle of expansion and contraction. Work with me, okay? Don't, don't give me that glazed over look. How do we get to a place where we go, hey, the universe is all that there is and it has to exist in all of eternity because the fool says in his heart there is no God and then does everything in his power to formulate a universe that fits within that worldview. We don't want to submit to a God who is outside of creation and over all things. So rather than submit to that God, we will work to try to contort reality around the things that make us comfortable. Just in case we're still a little bit too deep for some of you, how many of you ever got home after missing curfew and tried to explain to your parents how it was that they weren't clear in the way that they explained their rules? <laughs> well, see, what I thought you meant was, or well, what had happened was, or you don't understand what was happening. We're trying to bend reality to fit our situation. Well, that's what often happens to us when we don't want to submit to the Lord. See, very few people truthfully don't believe that God exists, but many people across the world for all of history do not want to live according to his standards, his laws, and his expectations. It's much easier to sell ourselves the lie that there is no God than there is to live under the reality that I acknowledge he exists and I refuse to live in accordance with his expectations for my life. But miracles glorify God. See, that's the problem. Some of us don't want to acknowledge miracles because the reality is miracles scream, there is a God and he is strong and powerful and mighty and he exists outside of time and space and he actually has it within his power to invade this world and to change things. Miracles glorify God. The second thing that miracles do is miracles build up believers. Miracles build up believers. Miracles serve as a reminder to believers that God is who he claims to be. The miraculous doesn't only exist so that non-believers could be impacted by them. God sends us these miracles as encouragements 
to his followers to keep us walking with him. Peter walked on the water. Peter was already a believer and a follower of Jesus, but he was strengthened in his faith after that moment. Jesus calmed a storm, and his disciples were overcome with awe and wonder. Jesus fed 5,000 people who came to hear him preach and teach. Jesus turned water into wine. Elisha, one of the Old Testament prophets, made an axe head float when a prophet lost it. The people that are gathered around to see this are just the prophets of God. These people are already believers, but what happens is when that, that experience takes place, then these people are strengthened in their faith. They're reminded that God is who he claims to be. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets, but he ran scared from Queen Jezebel. What did God do? God didn't wash his hands of Elijah. He didn't cast him into the outer darkness. The Bible says that when Elijah messed up and ran away, what did God do? God fed him in the wilderness in a miraculous way. And then God came to him in a storm and spoke to him. Folks, how incredible is it for us to be reminded about this God who will meet us in the miraculous even when we are living in rebellion? In the book of Acts, Paul raised these new believer, or these believers back to life. The Bible says that they were all gathered around. This, this woman they loved had died, and yet Paul, excuse me, Peter, speaks, and the Lord brings her back to life. This man, Aeneas, imagine for Peter how amazing this was. We looked at this just a few weeks ago, the miracle of Jesus raising a man off of his mat. Remember that? So Jesus walks up and he says, do you want to be well? And the man says, well, uh, what kind of question is that? And Jesus says, well, if you do, then get up. Take your mat and walk. We had a whole sermon about that. We talked about what's keeping you on your mat. Why do you want to lay there and wallow in your sin? Peter was there for that, right? Imagine when Peter sees this guy and the Lord says to him and speaks in his spirit and says, this is an opportunity. And Peter's like, I can't believe I'm going to get to actually do this. I can't believe I'm going to get to see God do this all over again. Side note, we've got Discipleship 101 happening right here, right? Jesus had taught Peter. Jesus then takes Peter with him to do the ministry. And then Jesus does what? Sends him out to do the exact same ministry. If you want to know what it looks like to raise up new believers, this is what it looks like. We teach them. We let them come alongside and watch what we're doing. And then we send them out. Peter's been sent out. And all of a sudden, so he's preached. He's done all these things. But then he's going to come up. And he's going to find this guy laying on a mat. And he's going to say, in the name of Jesus, get up. Y'all, I don't, again, I, I don't, Peter becomes a man filled with faith. Unbelievable faith. But I still wonder if maybe there was just like little parts of Peter every once in a while these things happened and went, man, I can't believe that worked all over again. Right? If, if every once in a while Peter said, all I've got is a mustard seed of faith, <laughs> and that's absolutely all, but then this happens, it's like, I think I got two mustard seeds of faith on the backside of that. Jesus, did you see? imagine Peter just looking around? Did y'all see what Jesus just did y'all see that? Did you see that? God gives us miracles to build up believers. In our own church body, haven't we, incur haven't we been encouraged by the number of salvations we've witnessed recently? We can't forget that every single time that God plucks a sinner from eternal damnation and sets their feet on the rock that is Jesus Christ and puts them on a path moving them towards the eternal security 
Every time God saves a soul, every single time, it is a miracle of His grace. These are trophies of God's grace. This is what God's doing, and aren't we encouraged? You all clapped when I stood up there just a few minutes ago and said, we just baptized three weeks in a row. It's encouraging. It's exciting. Man, you know what's great? It's when a church sees the gospel working, they're encouraged to be more evangelistic because they actually believe it can happen. They know it can happen. And so they celebrate. I told y'all when I was standing up there, I'm telling y'all don't understand. Like, y'all won't all fit. Maybe we should do a live stream from the balcony next time. Let's work that out. That'd be an exciting time. Yeah, it'd be wild. Y'all, I mean, I, I'm, here's what's happening. All these people are up there with all their friends that are getting baptized. This is me having to be like the mean parent. Shh, shh, hush. You know, stop. Don't throw things in the water. No, you can't jump in. I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's like, okay, who's going to take pictures because all of y'all can't? Please get out of the way. Why are y'all acting this way? But what are they doing? Just this encouragement, this excitement around the work of the Lord. And that's what God does with miracles. He, he builds us up. He encourages us. Imagine these believers. They called Peter. They didn't really call him. They have a phone, but sort of like that, right? They send somebody to get him. So Dorcas is dead. Can you... Can you get here? Peter said, y'all going outside. Let's see what we can do. They're outside. Oh, look at all the things that she's done. And Peter walks out and goes, you mean the things that she's going to continue to do? She's in there eating. Y'all got to take care of her. But watch. What did she do? She got up and started serving people. I got this. God's called me to something. There's encouragement here. Miracles build up believers and folks please don't discount remember early on let me let me see how exactly i said this miracles are rare exceptions to the normal natural laws that govern creation there are a couple of exceptions even to that rule one of the most incredible miracles that can take place is the miracle of changed lives and encounters with the holy spirit of god on a regular basis you get to hold a miracle in your hand every time you open god's word because it's a miracle that the Lord would break through time and space and communicate with us. Some of you are so busy looking for your own burning bush that you miss the miracle that God's put in your hands day in and day out. Lord, speak to me. And here he is. Don't miss that. God's given us these miracles to build up believers. Third this morning, miracles bring unbelievers to the Lord. A miracle is a divine intrusion into the natural world. A miracle is a divine intrusion into the natural world. An interruption. In the secular world, people love to claim that ancient people believed in miracles because they were not smart enough to know any better. They were just too simple-minded. And because they were simple-minded, they assumed that Jesus was walking on the water, but he was actually just walking on some rocks out there. It was really shallow ground. Or they assumed that Jesus was risen from the dead, but they didn't really understand that he just was just, you know, sort of swooning, just knocked out, sleeping. I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis one more time. He says, all records of miracles teach the same thing. That such stories, in these stories, the miracles excite fear and wonder among the spectators and are taken as evidence of supernatural power. If they were not known to be contrary to the laws of nature, how could they suggest the presence of the supernatural? 
Lewis says this, how could they be surprising unless they were seen to be exceptions? By the way, that book, that's coming from C.S. Lewis's book on miracles called Miracles, real creative title. Um, probably, uh, no, absolutely my favorite book on, on miracles. It's exceptional, a great philosophical treatment, uh, pretty approachable on the subject. But listen, the only reason that miracles were surprising is because nobody around there expected it to happen. Do you understand? The fact that people went, holy cow, he rose from the grave, means that they believed that people who died stayed dead. These weren't simple people that didn't understand what death looked like. They knew what death was. And when death happened, they assumed, just like every other experience in their life, that the person who died was going to stay dead. The reason these miracles attract so much attention is because they run contrary to the natural world. The world is only normal, though, watch. The world only seems normal to us in the sense that broken is normal. See, sin has wrecked our world. Paul encounters a broken man lying on a sidewalk and a dead woman lying in a house. I, I, I hope I don't need to remind you of this, but listen to me. Death entered the world because of sin. Disability entered the world because of sin. The world can only be viewed as normal in the sense that it is broken. It's more appropriate for us to speak of the world as natural than it is to speak of it as normal. The natural world can be savage. Nature is filled with dangers and poisons and predators. Cancer and heart disease, death, abuse, divorce, all of these are natural. But they aren't normal. They aren't the way that God intended the world to be. See, here's what happens. Miracles set the world right. Miracles set the world right. Right, miracles are a flare gun in the middle of a dark world screaming of God's existence and His intrusion. Miracles are disorienting because we are too comfortable with the broken world in which we live. Miracles are disorienting because we are too comfortable with the broken world in which we live. Have you found yourself getting used to something that was not right? Have you ever found yourself getting used to something that was broken? Maybe you had that old car that just made a noise and you'd kind of gotten over the noise. You turn the radio up enough and finally somebody else gets you. Somebody gets in. What's that noise? Noise. I don't hear anything. No, I, I, there, there's definitely a noise. I, I, I don't hear anything. You don't hear it because you got, you got so used to it, right? It just became, it became normal. That didn't mean it was right. It just means that you got over it. You, you forgot. Miracles serve as a strong reminder to us that what we take for granted as normal is anything but. God put Adam and Eve in a garden, and in that garden, he, he, he placed everything they needed with this one command, don't eat from that one tree. The Bible says that when they ate from that one tree, then sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, all sorts of terrible things took place. Death entered the world. Disease entered the world. Pain entered the world. Shame entered the world. I, I think we, we sort of overlook that shame aspect to our peril. Adam and Eve had been naked the whole time and they were not ashamed and now all of a sudden they were ashamed. Ashamed of what? Ashamed of their sin? 
ashamed of their bodies, ashamed of one another. You know, one of the things they were most afraid of? They were afraid of what somebody else might think about them. That I was going to be seen completely, truly, through, through and through. How many of you live in fear that somebody's going to find you out? Miracles are disorienting because we're too comfortable with the broken world in which we live. Miracles are disorienting because they break in and go, this is not normal. This is not right. This is not okay. And then the miracles say this, it can be better. It doesn't have to be this way. Have you ever seen a marriage healed, put back together, restored? The miracle of that. The incredible miracle to see somebody, two people go from hating one another to loving one another again. To see healing take place in a place where there was no good reason why anyone should be willing to do that. And it messes us up. did a podcast interview with a guy just this week and he talked about how his wife stuck with him. He said, she had every biblical reason to walk away from me. And for some reason in God's grace, she was willing to stay and I don't know why. It disorients us when things run counter to the expectation of our sinful world. Miracles are a flare gun screaming God's existence and a miracle asserts God's presence and watch invites unbelievers to change their ways. Look, we've been kind of hinting back around at Acts 9 over and over and again, but, but he says right here um, in verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Miracles bring unbelievers to the Lord. Miracles bring salvation to those who have rejected Christ. This is one of the incredible things that takes place when we baptize in public services. That folks are invited to ask questions. Why did that happen? Why are they doing that? And it gives us opportunities to explain that the reason that we baptize is because God has broken through the normal and done something supernatural. That he's taken a sinful heart and replaced it with a heart of flesh and love. That he's taken sin and he's atoned for it and he's erased it. And he's taken a sinner bound for hell and put them on a path bound for glory. What is the purpose of miracles? Miracles exist to bring glory to God, to encourage believers, and to bring unbelievers to Christ. Miracles exist as evidence that God breaks through this world and flexes his glorious muscle for all the world to see. But see, all this can kind of become an academic exercise. See, I thought I was using those big words for no good reason. All this can become an academic exercise. And you can hear those big words at the beginning and all those long quotations. And you can, your eyes can roll back in the back of your head and you can go, well, see, this really doesn't apply to me. But listen to me. This is where I want to come back around and help you to understand something. 
Some of you showed up here today needing a miracle in your own life. And miracles exist not just for the academic experience of it so that we can talk about it. Miracles exist to bring you to the foot of the cross where you can experience salvation in Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning, what miracle do you need God to work in your life today? What miracle do you need God to work in your life today? Perhaps you're not a paralyzed man laying on a mat and you need Peter to speak. You're not dead laying in a room somewhere and you need Peter to speak. But perhaps you're dead in your sins and trespasses and you desperately need God to speak life into your heart. To bring you from death to life. What, can't, what miracle do you need? Some of you stop believing that God can work a miracle. Some of you forgot if you ever knew that Jesus rose from the dead and he's able to solve your problems. Do you need a miracle? What miracle do you need? Do you need God to work a miracle in your marriage? Do you need God to work a miracle in your children? Do you need God to work a miracle in your finances? Do you need God to work a miracle in your business? Do you need God to work a miracle in your life? Some of y'all need to stop rejecting God's power. And start today believing that a miracle-working God can do a miracle in your life. He's able. He's willing. Will you trust him? Thomas Jefferson was older when he dissected his Bible. And Thomas Jefferson did not allow that to be made publicly known because in the early 1800s, it would have been considered anathema for anybody to have taken a knife to the Word of God. I doubt there's any of you in here that have actually taken a copy of God's Word and sliced it up. But there are many of you in here today who have re refused to believe this word. There are many of you in here today who may have not taken a physical knife, but you've decided that you'll live your life refusing to believe in a miracle-working Savior that can set you free. Like the pantheists that I spoke of earlier who have created a God in their own image. A God that sort of exists everywhere. You know what's crazy about a pantheist? So here's what pantheists believe. They believe that God is in all things. And this is what naturalists often believe. That God is in all things. If you know what nobody wants to believe? That God's in cancer or heartache or hurt. All of a sudden, somehow or other, God is all things and nothing at the same time. And then that happens. And here's what everybody's looking for. Where's God when things got bad? you need a miracle today? The only thing stopping you from experiencing salvation, a miracle, is your unwillingness to believe. I don't know who you are, many of you. I don't know what brought you in here today. But I know this.
God stands ready to do a miracle work in your heart. To rescue you from the domain of darkness and to transfer you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Will you get over your rebellion? Will you stop living in your anger and your rejection and your resentment? Will you put your knife away? And will you trust Him at His word? Imagine, just if you will, as we finish, that Peter walked up to Aeneas and he says, In the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you, stand up and walk. And Aeneas said, No, I don't think so. I'll just live my life. You know, Jesus is good over there, but I don't need him here. He puts too many expectations on me. Imagine Aeneas left on his mat because he was unwilling to surrender to the Lord. Imagine a man robbed of his miracle because he was unwilling to submit to the Lord. There are some of you in here today who have been robbed of your miracle. Not because God doesn't want to do a miracle, but because you are hell-bent on living in your sin and laying on your mat. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Today can be the day that you get up that you fold up your mat of sin and that you leave it laying right there. Can I speak to me? When I was nine years old, I had nine ounces in the bone. They told me I wouldn't live until I was 21. So I am a miracle. It still happens today. As we stand and sing this morning, will you walk away from your sin and trust God to work a miracle? Pray with me. Lord God in heaven, we give you praise and glory and honor. God, thank you for the way that you continue to change lives. I thank you for Jay Huggins. I thank you, Lord God, for the miracle you performed in his life, not just to give him life, but new life in Christ. God, there's people here today that need a miracle. Father, I pray that they would trust you, turn from their sin be given new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing this morning. Please come today. Please don't wait. God stands ready to change your life. Please come.